Okay. Ezekiel 24. We are at verse 1. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, write down the name of the day. This very day, the king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem. This very day. You will see a emphasis on this particular day more so than any other prophecy. And he really wants him to write this down. The uh, specific day is the ninth year, tenth month, and tenth day. And as historians have worked this out, this would come out to be the uh, 15th of January in 588 B.C. This is the day the Lord says the siege started. This is about two and a half years after the last dated prophecy we have, which was in Ezekiel 20, when he said it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month. So this is about two and a half years later that this word comes to them. But the emphasis is on him to make sure it is, he is writing it, written it down. And probably being told to write down the date, this would indicate that there is no natural way of knowing what is going to be told him. So he wants them to write down the day. So this is the day that the, the siege started. Now when you think of it, back in these days, they may know that a dispatch left from Babylon that the army had had gone out. And according to the previous prophecy, we saw that they were coming to a fork in the road. And they were going to decide at that fork which way to go. And they did all their incantations and things and decided to go to the way of, of Judah. And so that's the way that they went. So even if they knew that the army had gone, they may have also known that the army was going to decide which way they were going to go. But they would not have known what day this actually started until people came from there. Of course, of course there's no um, no way to call and no way to, to send any messages that far along. So they would have to send a, a uh, running messenger. And so until someone came from that area, from the battle, either someone from the Babylonians or someone from uh, the, the Jewish people, the actual date wouldn't be known. So he's saying, write this down because later on this is going to be proof. You're going to say... On this, the 15th day of January, or in their case, the ninth year, 10th month, and the 10th day of the month. So you write that day down. Make sure you have that down in this prophecy. I want them to be able to come back and to see this is when it happened. So you gotta be pretty confident that what you're saying is, is gonna go, gonna go on. Verse three. And utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Put on a pot, set it on, and also pour water into it. Gather pieces of meat in it, every good piece, the thigh and the shoulder. Fill it with choice cuts. Take the choice of the flock. Also pile fuel bones under it. Make it boil well. And let the cuts simmer in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose scum is in it, and whose scum is not gone from it. Bring out one piece by piece on which no lot has fallen. So he's given a a uh, parable here of a pot. On this pot, we're going to set, of course, the water in it. We're going to put the meat in it. We're going to put the bones underneath. A lot of times they would use, uh, wood wasn't always real common. And so some, if you were short on wood, you could use some of the bones of animals and they would use that as fuel for the fire. But in verse 6, 
It is interesting. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city. Of course, instead of the holy city, now he refers to it as the bloody city. To the plot whose, to the pot whose scum is in it and whose scum is not gone from it. Bring it out piece by piece on which no lot has fallen. Now, the first time I read that through in the New King James Version, you kind of think that, well, scum in me is coming up from the meat. You know, sometimes you boil some stuff, you see some, some things coming up to the, to the top. So I went back to the Hebrew to see what it, it means. And it actually is a, a word for disease. So if you, you have a pot and it has disease, what would you say it has? Rust. The um, New Century Version translates it this way. This is what the Lord God says. How terrible it will be for the city of murderers. How terrible it will be for the rusty pot whose rust will not come off. Take the meat out of it, piece by piece. Don't choose any special piece. That's how they interpret the, the part with the, the lot. So here's how the, the, the uh, parable goes. The pot is Jerusalem, the city. The fire is the Babylonians. And the things inside the pot are the Jewish people. It could be that the bones were the princes, the leaders of the, of the folks, and the flesh was the uh, common people. That could be why there's a distinction between that. Of course, the bones is what gives the, the flesh the structure. And that would have been what the leaders would be doing, given to the place structure. may not have been good structure, but it would have been giving them some structure. Now, this, uh, since the pot is, has rust on it, the pot has not been properly cared for. And that's what he wants to emphasize, of course, that Jerusalem has not been cared for the way that it should. People have not taken care of the holy city. And they have let the holy, the holy city become bad. Uh, verse 7. For her blood is in her midst. She set it on top of a rock. She did not pour it on the ground to cover it with dust, that it may rise with fury and take vengeance. I have set her blood on the top of a rock, that it may be covered. So the stew basically is ruined by the bad pot. So all the, the rust that is on the pot uh, comes out into the stew and... Uh, and it ruins it. <clears throat> the New Century Version translates it this way. The blood from her killings is still in the city. She poured the blood on the bare rock. She did not pour it on the ground where dust would cover it to stir up my anger. In revenge, I put the blood she spilled on the bare rock so that it will not be covered. This is a, a little clearer in that translation. Uh, let's go on to verse 9. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city. I too will make the the pyre great. Heap on it wood. Kindle the fire. Cook the meat well. Mix in the spices and let the cuts be burned up. Then let the pot, then set the pot empty on the coals that it may become hot and its bronze may, may burn. That its filthiness may be melted in it. That its scum may be consumed. She has grown weary with lies and her great scum has not gone from her. Let her scum be in the fire. In your filthiness is lewdness because I have cleansed you and you were not cleansed. You will not be cleansed of your filthiness anymore till I have caused my fury to rest upon you. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass and I will do it. I will not hold back nor will I spare nor will I relent. According to your ways and according to your deeds, they will judge you, says the Lord God. So because of your deeds, they're going to be what's coming in to, to judge so the pot is no longer good for what it was created for. Pot's created to, to cook things. And if you cook things in this pot, it's going to ruin them. 
So the pot has to be destroyed. So the pot being the city of Jerusalem has to be destroyed. The people that are inside, the pot is supposed to protect them. The city is supposed to give the people inside some protection and it's not going to do that. They're going to be poured out from the pot then they're going to be burned up uh, apart from the pot. Then the pot's going to be put on with no water in it. The pot will burn up and it will melt. Then the rust will go away. The rust will be melted. The metal will go away. And he's just basically saying we're going to burn the whole thing up and we're going to get rid of everything that is there. Everything on that pot is going away. This is how the New Century translates this passage. So this is what the Lord God says, verse 9, How terrible it will be for the city of murderers. I myself will pile the wood high for burning. So God says, I'm going to get involved in this. I'm going to help pile this wood high. Pile up the wood and light the fire. Finish cooking the meat. Mix in the spices and let the bones burn. So we want everything gone. Then set the empty pot on the coal so it may become hot and its copper sides glow. The dirty scum stuck inside it may then melt and its rust burn away. But efforts to clean the pot have failed. Its heavy rust cannot be removed even in the fire. By your sinful action, you have become unclean. I wanted to cleanse you, but you are still unclean. You will never be cleansed from your sin until my anger against you is carried out. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come for me to act. I will not hold back punishment or feel pity or change my mind. I will judge you by your ways and actions, says the Lord. So the pot is put back on the fire. It's burned. The contents poured out. They are no longer protected by the pot or by the city. So imagine being the, the people here. Again, you've got a people that are kind of tossed between two opinions. One opinion says that Jerusalem will be saved. Another opinion says that Jerusalem will, will not. Uh, Ezekiel, of course, is of this. I don't know how many others are in the city that are uh, saying the same thing. We know that Jeremiah, of course, is down at his end. And there may be a few other prophets down there that may also be uh, saying what Jeremiah is saying. But we know that there are quite a number that are on the other side saying the other, the other way. Don't worry. Egypt is coming. They're going to help you out. So if you have Ezekiel coming on, and so far nothing Ezekiel has said has, has been untrue. But a lot of his stuff that he's been saying is still future. It's still coming. So he comes out and he says, today's the day. Jerusalem is under siege. That's got to set some people into, into unrest. They have no other way of knowing it. He has no other way of knowing it except the Lord would tell them. So now they're, they're, they got to be thinking, is what he's saying right? Now imagine there's still other people in the, in the city, in the area, that are proclaiming the other message. And you got to know that they're probably coming out and saying, what, Ezekiel is false. Ezekiel is not saying the right thing. And they're coming out with their own word that, um, that it's coming or maybe they even agree that the siege is going on but the spirit of God is going to come down as he has done in their past and uh, delivered them whatever it is that that will be coming up you know that there are always satanic inspired people that pass themselves off as God to counteract the truth and it's our job no matter what day and age that we're in to discern from the the truth that comes from God and the things that come from others But that's the extent of this prophecy. And then we get into verse 15 and we have another prophecy that comes. It does not seem that this prophecy came on the heels of the first one. It seems that there was some time between the two prophecies, but no time is given for when this one is, when this one comes. 
He says, uh, verse 15, Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head. Put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So all the things that you would do normally when you were in mourning, you are not supposed to do. Don't, uh, sometimes people get sad and they cover their face with their hands. I think that's what they're, they're talking about here. Don't cover your lips. Some translations actually will, will uh, translate it that way. But put your sandals on your feet. Dress normal. Don't be putting on the sackcloth and the, don't be wearing any ashes or anything like that. Don't, uh, change your diet. Eat the things that you would eat as a person in mourning. But this is uh, one thing to, to note about this. God says in verse uh, 16, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your, of your eyes. We've heard people say before, well, the Lord took them. And we don't always see that the Lord took them. Sometimes they just died from one reason or another. But this is one of those times when the Lord took them. Uh, there, there is speculation that maybe she was sick coming up to this. I don't think so. I think she's perfectly healthy. She's probably just fine. And uh, though we don't hear a whole lot about the relationship between Ezekiel and his wife, uh, he, God calls him, says to him, she's the desire of your eyes. So obviously, uh, he loved her a great deal. And this was going to hurt him. And God says, in the, in the morning, I guess, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take your wife from you tonight. Boy, what are you doing that day? What do you what do you do with that? That's um, that's got to be tough. Look at the the next verse here. In verse eighteen, so I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died, and the next morning I did as I was commanded. So what did he speak to the people? What was the word of the Lord that came to him? His wife's going to die. So he goes out to the people and he tells them, the Lord is going to take my wife tonight. What else could he be saying? Because in the next prophecy, the next day when he gives prophecy, he tells some of the other things that the Lord said. So in this one, the only thing that he leaves out of the utterance he gives the next day is the part of the Lord saying, your wife is going to die, I'm going to take her. So, the only thing he has to tell the people is to come out and say, the Lord is going to take my wife tonight. Now, we'll have to wait to get to heaven to find out, does he talk to his wife about this first or does he go out there and tell the people? But obviously, his wife finds out about it. I mean, how can he go out to the people and announce this to the people and your wife not know? So, can you imagine what goes on in the household of Ezekiel? When, I, I don't know if she blames him <laughs> or maybe she blames the ministry that they're in. Uh, maybe I'm sure she doesn't want to go, but she is going to going to die. And can you imagine? I mean, if you just just normal, just put yourself in this situation, uh, you'd probably want to go to bed as late as you could. If you'd probably stay up all night, and uh, you know until the the thing would happen. Uh, maybe they don't fall asleep at all. 
Maybe he, it's not that she has to fall asleep in order for the Lord to take her. So they may just stay up all, all night knowing what's coming. I just can't imagine going through that. That this is, this is not an outcome that, that Ezekiel wants, but it's an outcome that the Lord says is going to come, and he's not allowed to mourn. So, we're not told too much about it. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. So they've got from the morning when he spoke to the pe- speaks to the people until the evening when his wife dies that, uh, that they as a couple are dealing with this. That must have been a very interesting day. That's one of those things that uh, I think you can put on your list for videotape. <laughs> or just go up and ask Ezekiel, Ezekiel, what happened on that day? Or ask his wife. So the next morning he says, I did as I commanded. In verse 19, And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things signify to us that you behave so? And then I answered them, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul, your sons and your daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. So he's telling them, You've got people back there, people that you know. Some of them are your sons. Some of them are your daughters. But there's some things, and so there's some people back there that you, that you love. There's the sanctuary. There's the city itself. And, you know, people fall in love with cities. You, you hear people talk about a, a very affectionately, maybe a city that they grew up in. Uh, a city that they had gone to visit. And uh, just the, the, the fondness they have of it. Uh, especially if you go overseas in some of these cities that are uh, hundreds and thousands of years old and people just have an affection for the, the city. Some of them have never left the city. They've been in that city for, for a long period of time. It's, um, it, uh, I think of Italy sometimes, uh, some of the cities that are out there, just just ancient. Uh, Venice is one of those ones. I mean, if, if you, the people who live there, they just love it. I don't think I would like to be in a water city. That's got water all around. And, um, I know for a little while they were a little, little heavy on water. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, but they're all light in water right now. They were heavy on it. They were a little flooded. And then, uh, something happened and the tide went away and, and now they don't even have water to cover the canals. So all the, the gondolas are, are grounded. And so they have a tough time getting around the city because that's how they were <laughs> supposed to get around the city. But, um, I'm sure that the water will come back. As it came up uh, a little too high before, uh, now it's a little bit too low. We'll get to a spot where it'll be back to being right, I, I suppose. But the things they loved, you know, you you may have a favorite street that you uh, that you go down. That just uh, how many of you have that? You can think of some places that you visited, and just a, a certain street would uh, uh, just ring in your memory. Uh, maybe the street you grew up on. I can think of the street I grew up on and, and uh, s- some of the things that, that it looks like there. I haven't done it in decades, but I, I do remember sometimes after uh, not being there, just driving on by the old street and seeing what was what was there. Some of the times we've gone into some vacation places. Yeah, how many of you can remember something on a vacation place that you were at and something that just was really, uh, really beautiful about that? You just love to go back out there and and see that. You know, I love going back out to Ocean City and just seeing the boardwalk. Uh, every time I get to go out to Ocean City, 
and see the boardwalk. Oh, it brings back memories. Uh, that boardwalk's been around for a long time, and I've been on it for a long time. And you like to just go in out there and just uh, just take a look at that, and you smell the, the smells of the areas of where you're at. Well, that's what these f- folks are going through. All that they remember is going to be burned up. It's going to be broken down. The temple. And even though they were not treating the temple the way that they should be treating the temple, they still had a fond affection for the temple. And it's going to be burned up. It's going to be taken out. He says again in verse 21, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes. So just as his wife was the desire of his eyes, these are some things that are the desire of their eyes. The delight of your soul and your sons and daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. So think about this. He said today this the siege has begun. Now this siege will last for 18 months and then Jerusalem will fall. But for 18 months it's under siege. Now they're not just, the, the army is not, not just sitting outside there having a picnic and waiting for them to uh, starve themselves out. They're running attacks. Uh, they're probably th- uh, sending some arrows and some um, some weapons that they have over the wall into the into the area. And some people are probably dying by some of the, the fire things that they would send over or uh, some of the arrows that would just, just come on through. Uh, they may just shoot some arrows up in the air and see who they hit on the way down. And since you always know an arrow could be coming out, maybe you're hiding, kind of hiding around. But uh, he, what he's telling them is the siege has started. The attack has gone on. They'll have to put some people on the walls to fire down upon the Babylonians to keep them back from the, the wall. And so that puts them as a target. And so some of those could be, could be killed by the uh, archers and the different kind of uh, methods of war that they have. So he says, this is going on now. I want you to think about this. I want you to envision this. All the things that you love back there, the people, the places, the temple, they're under siege. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips, nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turban shall be on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. He says, that day's coming. He said, it's not here now, but that day's coming. Right now, I'm living this out, but you're going to be living this out in a little while. Because the, the news is going to be so shocking. And it's going to, it, it's not just sad news, it's going to just, just shock them. Thus, Ezekiel is assigned to you. According to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he has to live out this example. Of course, he had to do the thing before with the, the laying on the side for, for all those days as an example to them. And now he's doing this as an example. You would think that that would get Ezekiel a little bit bitter about his uh, role, about the ministry that he's been called to, that he has to make this kind of sacrifice. Or that these people, because of their evilness, this has to, this has to go on. Uh, I could sure see where there would be an opportunity for that. Sometimes we... We think of the ministries God has us on and we think of the hardships that we face in it. But think about Ezekiel. And God tells him, you're not allowed to mourn. you got to go about life normally. The thing that this will do for them is that he has painted a picture for them that the siege has begun. 
The day is coming when the walls will come down. The temple will be destroyed. And once the news comes that the temple is destroyed, the walls are broken down, that Jerusalem has fallen, any hope that they have is gone. Their homeland is gone. Being able to return to it is gone. As far as they're concerned, everything is done. And where they are now is all that they'll ever have. Right now, they still have a little bit of hope. Jerusalem is still there. We could still find our way back there. And life can maybe pick up the way that it was. When they lose the temple, even though they have mocked the temple, you know, they have brought idolatry into the temple, even though they have not worshipped God the way that they have, or the way that they should, the way that they've been instructed to, they still have the thought that the temple is the temple of God, and the presence of God is in the temple. They still have the thought that God is with us. Uh, you can kind of relate that to this country. Sometimes this country, uh, we still think we are a nation of God. We still think that God is with us. And there's, there's many that are on God's side. I understand that. But there's an awful lot that is moving away from God. But they, we still want to uh, be seen as uh, you know, God protecting us. It's amazing these people that are out there and the things that they, they do against God, the things that they say. I mean, they, uh, you have law people that are uh, doing things to continue the killing of babies. But then these same people talk about prayer and they talk about God and they talk about our, our nation serving God. How can they do that and promote these, these type of evil, the evil activities? And it's amazing to me, but they do. And this is what Israel was doing. They were promoting all this evil, but they still saw themselves as a nation of God. And once this temple is burned up, once it's gone, this is going to be the shock for them because to them, the, the presence of God is in the temple. The Holy of Holies, where the Ark is. That's where the presence of God is. And they, different from all other nations, they had the temple. They had the presence of God. They know when that temple falls and that temple burns, the presence of God is gone. We've already seen from Ezekiel's prophecies that God has left it. But they still hold out hope that that Holy of Holies still has the presence of God because they can't go in there. So they still hold out that hope. God's already told them in the prophecies, which they would have to believe that he's left. Verse 25. And you, son of man, will it not be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy, and their glory, and desire of their eyes, that on, <clears throat> and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters? So again, all these things that are considered dear to them. The temple, the children, um, all the, all the memories. On that day, one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your own ears. On that day, your mouth will be open to him who has escaped, and you shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you will be assigned to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So, what happens here is that Ezekiel will be mute until the report comes to verify all that he has said. Now, either he is mute completely in that he cannot talk or he has no words for the, from the Lord for Judah. The report that will come does not come until chapter 33 and verse 22. And that's when it says his mouth is open. But 
there are a number of chapters between chapter 24 and chapter 33. That's a lot of words that will come. How are those words given? <clears throat> now, the words that come are uh, mostly words that deal with the nations, the, the other nations. God's speaking about the other nations uh, in these ones. And we will be looking at them. He spends quite a bit of time in, in those. He particularly spends a lot of time in with Tyre. After that, he's going to spend some time on Egypt. But when he gets into Tyre, he talks about the fall of the city. He talks about the fall of the, the prince. And when he talks about the fall of the king of, of Tyre, the prince of Tyre, you remember that one, it begins to, to fall right into line with that with uh, Satan, the fall of Satan. And when we get to that, we'll talk about where they all tied in. But we know that words do come in the chapters that follow. So if he was completely mute, then perhaps he just wrote them down and other people read them. That certainly could be, because he wrote down all the prophecies. We know that he, that he did that. So maybe he just wrote them. He received them from God and he wrote them and did not speak them. Or he just was able to speak those words that came from the, um, uh, that came about the other ones. So not exactly sure what it is. I would say he's probably completely mute. Uh, I don't really have anything from the passage itself that would seem to indicate that he's anything but completely mute. But just understand it could be either way, either of those two ways. Either he has no words for them from the Lord. If they were to come and inquire of him and the Lord, he couldn't speak. He couldn't talk. Until that report comes in chapter 33 and verse 22. When it comes, it says, and he brings the report, it's, um, it's going to open it up. So we know that there's at least one person who escapes all that. Can you imagine though? I, I, I read that and I was thinking about this. If you were in the land of Judah, in the city of Jerusalem, and somehow you escaped the siege, the walls came down and the army comes in and they start killing people and somehow you got through all that. I don't know if you hid and they didn't find you or if you just got lost in the confusion and you got out. And of all the places that you're going to go, you're going to Babylon. I'm trying to figure out why would you do that? Maybe you go down to Egypt because these are the people that you've, you're, you're trying to buddy up with. But they don't go down there. They go down to the where the captives are. So I, about all I can think of is that they're hoping that maybe I can get in where the captives are, sneak into that camp, and they won't know that I came out of there and I can just kind of <laughs> fit in there and just uh, pick up on the lifestyle that, that they have. So that's all I can come up with. I, I have nothing else that uh, that I could find on, on this as to why they would go there. But it's a good distance. But um, there were obviously ahead of the army that was bringing the captives. There are some more captives that do come. Uh, not many. They do slaughter uh, most of them. But that will come about. And these are all things that he has predicted, that he's prophesied. He's prophesied that somebody would come. That somebody is going to escape and someone's going to make their way over and give all the report of this. The thing that we can take a look at this and take for our own lives is not only are the words we speak about God a message to those around and you are going to be speaking and are required to, to speak words to pe- people that are around you. You have the word of God in you and you need to go out and to speak that. And the more that you learn of the word of God, the more you need to go out and speak. We're not just here to learn the word of God and to be really good at, the, at knowing the Word of God, but not doing anything with it. 
there's a world out there and we need to convey those things to them. Let them know what's, what's going on in the, in the Word of God. What the Word of God has to say about what situations are going on now. That's our job to find that out and our job to tell them. Just as Ezekiel went before God and God gave him words about what was going on in the day that they were living. And he declared them. And so we got to make sure that we have God's word. In the same light, there are going to be people that are speaking words as of God about what's going on in the day and they would be wrong. They are, they're going against the things of God but presenting it as things of God. There will be ministers of God who will present things from the Word of God about today and um, and they would be wrong. And you have to be, uh, you have to certainly be, be careful about that. I never heard this prophecy. I just, it just came to me. I heard something about it. But apparently there was some, some preacher who was out there and he prophesied that when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, that there would be great revival upon the land. And I don't, I don't know what ridiculous reasons he used for, for this. But can you imagine <laughs> that God would, um, that anything like that would be the case? I, 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 I don't even know. I saw that, I saw a reference to that, and I thought, surely they're kidding. That was the first thing that came up to me. Surely they're kidding. <laughs> no one surely said this. But then I found out later on that apparently it was true and there was some minister who came out and had, had uh, made some elaborate prophecy uh, about when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl that there would be a great revival outpouring on the... Can you imagine God waiting for a team to win the Super Bowl before he would pour out his spirit or do something? I, I, I cannot imagine that. That's not an opening that God is looking for. But these are the, these are things that can go on. And we have to make sure that we understand that in this day there will be people who will represent themselves as ministers of God who will bring things out of the word about what's going on today and say one way or say another. And, well, we just got to be, be careful. But not only are the words that we speak about God a message to those around, whether you're a minister, whether you're a prophet or whatever it might be, uh, you're going to be speaking the words of God. But we also have to... Uh, Watch how we react to things. Because this also speaks some things to the Word of God, or to the people about the Word. How we respond. How Elijah, or sorry, how Ezekiel was responding to the things that were going on around him, his wife dying in this particular case. This was a testimony to the people. And God says, you got to respond this way. This is not the first time he's had to do this. But God says, this is going to be hard for you, but you've got to respond to this. This is how you need to, to go. No mourning. This is, this is how you're going to go because you are going to be assigned for, for them. And sometimes we don't always think about this, but how we respond and how we react to the things that are going on around us, the world watches. And the world, in Ezekiel's world right there, they were watching him. How does what you are doing, because what you're doing is not normal. This is not how normal people respond to, to their wife dying. And they probably observed Ezekiel and his wife and they saw that they were very much in love and he, he cared very deeply about her. And for her to go in such a shocking manner and him have no mourning, uh, it caused them to say, what's going on? 
this means something. We know it means something. What's it mean? And then he comes out and he brings the rest of the prophecy out to them. So just know that that uh, how you respond to what's going on here in this world. The world may get upset about things economically. And you have to respond as the Word of God tells you to respond, not as the world is expecting you to respond. When we have things like this outbreak of this uh, flu that's going on over in China, and it causes many people to be in fear, you're not called to be in fear. You're not called to respond that way. You're called to respond in a way of peace and faith. And when people come up to you and say, what do you think about that? I had somebody came up to me and said, what do you think about this this thing? I said, I don't give it any mind. I don't care about it at all. So one person asked me, are you going to be ordering any masks? <laughs> I'll have to. I said, no. I said, I don't even wear a mask in the shop. I said, I'm not going to go out there and, and wear, no, uh, wear no mask. I don't even think a mask is going to do all that much good. But it sure will put you in fear on a constant basis. How you respond will tell people some things. And uh, I'm sure some of you are watching the State of the Union and you could see the responses. You know, some parts of the thing would be responding one way and other parts would be responding another. Um, I never understood how responses for these things are always along party lines. You know, if it's a Democrat president in and he's giving the thing and he's talking about things, a lot of times the Republicans stay seated on, on stuff and the Democrats are cheering. And then if it's a Republican president and he's talking about things that he's done and the Republicans are cheering, the Democrats are staying, staying quiet. But my thought is, if it's good for the country, shouldn't everybody be God? I mean, if, if a Democrat president does something that benefits the country, if the economy grows and it's a Democrat president, shouldn't we all be glad? If the economy grows and it's a Republican president, shouldn't we all be glad when we can announce things that have talked about the, the growth of that? If, uh, if terrorists get killed and terrorists get set back, if it's a Democrat president, shouldn't we all be glad about that? Are we only glad if a Republican kills them or a Democrat kills them? Uh, I don't understand that. If it's good for the country, it should be good for all of us. But it's amazing to watch some things and uh, just the, just some of the things that, that if uh, that were going on last night, I'm thinking if that was a Democrat president up there, the other side would be cheering that they, these are things they want to go on, but are staying seated and stoic because I can't cheer for this because it's on, he's on the wrong side. How we respond to things that are going on, the world will watch. If, if, uh, if a Democrat president is in office and they do something that benefits God, benefits the church, benefits, uh, uh, in some way, uh, hinders the killing of babies, and I as a Christian don't, don't, uh, don't identify with a Democrat, and I get upset, and I don't get joyful, don't you think the world would watch that? Don't you think the world would be asking the question? Wait a minute. I thought this is an issue that you as a Christian believed in. How is it you can't get behind this? And I just get, uh, get shocked at that. So just understand from this, the world watches how we respond to what's going on in this world. The world watches how we respond to God's word. And I must make sure that my responses and my reactions are in line with God's word and not lined up with some political party or some political issue. What does God's word say about it? If God's word gets excited because this is going on, then we get excited. 
we look at the nations of Israel during the times of Elijah. There were times that the kings during the time of Elijah, he's up in the northern kingdom, we know that all the northern kings were bad, every one of them. But there were times with Elisha and Elijah that God was moving and doing things even though these kings were bad. There were times that uh, God was even sent, had sent Elijah to Ahab. Go tell him. <laughs> because he had repented or he had done something. And uh, go tell him I saw that. Uh, and he had to go in to, in to do that. He could have said, well, he's not the kind of king that I want. He's not the kind of king that I like. I don't want to give him this kind of message. But he went and delivered it. So make sure that our responses line up with the word and never a political party. I mean, you may line up with a political party because it's uh, also in line with the word. That's, that's fine. I'm not talking about, about that. But just make sure that if you see something good go on, I don't care who orchestrated it. If it's good, if it's in the kingdom of God, get excited about it. If it's bad, I don't care who did it. It's bad. Because it's either evil or it's not. It's either what God wants or it isn't what God wants. And just as these folks watched Ezekiel and it was a testimony to them, people are going to watch you and make sure that your responses are what testify of the power of the word and the love we have for our God. Because they will watch your actions just as much as they hear your words. And they did that here with, with Ezekiel. And God knew they would be doing it. And so he said, you can't just state this word. This is how you have to respond. I need them to see this. I don't know exactly what good this was going to do. Really, when he get down to it, does it change anything? Does them seeing this in Elijah, is it going to change anything? I don't know that it's going to change anything. But what I do know is this is what God wanted. And if that's what God wanted, then we do it because God wants it. I know that's, a, that's your all viewpoint. If God wants it, you want it. If God says we should do it, then we should do it. And then we, we go that way. But uh, I'll tell you, I know before we got into this book from studying it before, I don't think anybody wants an Ezekiel ministry. This is, a, this is one of those things, boy, it just takes over your life. Brother Hagin used to tell us things about the ministry of a prophet. Because he said a lot of people would come to school and they would think they're a prophet and they would say they're, God's calling me a prophet. <clears throat> he said the only person who wants to be a prophet is, doesn't know what one is. He says, I, he says, I don't wish this ministry on anyone. It was tough. He said it's a heavy ministry. It, it can, it all of a sudden hits you, bogs you down. He said it's a, there's a, there's a weight to carry. But he said, if you're called to it, that's what you got to do. And there's, there's a grace that, that comes with it. But if you're not, boy, he said, uh, it's not something that you want to pick up. I believed him. I never, never had a desire to get into that ministry. Never felt God calling him in that area of ministry either. But um, some people will be because there's the prophets are, necess- are, are needed. Need that prophets. It's part of the fivefold ministry. But even so, as we go out, watch your words, watch your actions. The world needs to hear your words and the world needs to see that your actions line up with those words. Father, we thank you for the example, the great example of Ezekiel. 
how he could call all these things into being. We know he was a man who loved things greatly, loved his homeland, loved his, the people of his home. And these things had to tear at him. But when you told him to act certain ways and to do certain things and to say certain things, he did them. And you could trust him with that. Father, we want to follow his example. That the words that we speak are the words that you once said. And the actions that we do are the actions that you call for. And the attitudes that we have are the attitudes that reflect your word. I thank you for it. Give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.